Hey, good morning, guys. My name is Cody, and um, I get to be the pastor here um, at, at the table. Um, hopefully, um, not the pastor. Hopefully, um, after today and after the end of this month, one of the pastors here. So we're going to have a, um, a, a quick business meeting um, at the end of the service today, about 10 minutes afterwards, um, where we're going to be voting on our budget for 2022, and then also voting um, as a congregation to install on the 26th Dan Bell as our first um, additional elder of a church. So we invite you um, members to come back in 10 minutes after that. If you're not a member, you're welcome to come and sit in on that. We don't have anything to hide, um, but you just can't vote because you're not a member. So so um, good reason for you to become a member. So, all right. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to read um, out of uh, um, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. That's not the only passage we're going to be in today, but that's what's going to get us started talking about a king by the name of Solomon. Um, we've been in a series called Kings talking about um, these different kings. We looked at David last week was the flawed king. We looked at Saul, the insecure king. Today we're looking at Saul, or Solomon, the successful king. So let's go ahead and pick up in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. Uh, and again, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of those on the way out. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Morning, guys. Uh, come on in. So 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 9 through 14. Verse 9. God's Word says, and this is Solomon's word. It's his request of the Lord. He says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you. All your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we want to come to you today. Um, I, I think that there's not a person in here today that does not want to be successful. Um, I don't think any of us grow up wishing we would grow up and be a failure. I don't think anyone in here today is praying for failure. I think we want to be successful. God, would we have the humility today to let you define success for us? Um, and let, let your word speak to us through um, Solomon. God, we are, we are so thankful that your word um, does not shy away from problems of, of its heroes, uh, of people who were in powerful positions, and yet... Your word is unflinching, and you just tear, tell us the truth uh, about, about people. Um, we saw that last week with King David. God, we're going to see it again today with Solomon. And God, we know that all of that is meant to drive us to a better king, King Jesus. So God, may your word do that today. May it drive us to King Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, if you're late coming in, again, my name is Cody. I get to be... Um, uh, one of the pastors here at, 
at the table, and we're so glad that you're here with us. We are in week four of our series called Kings. Next week, we're going to be looking at a guy named Josiah, um, who was the repentant king. Today, we're looking at Solomon, the successful king. How do you define success? I don't expect you to answer that um, like out loud right now, and I don't even expect you to answer it in your head right now, because I want you to, I want you to think through it, because typically... Success in, in, in our culture is defined as money, power, and popularity. That's how we typically define success. If you have enough money, then you, you can be comfortable and you can do whatever you want to do. Or if you have enough power, you may not have money, but you have ways of getting things done. Or you can just be popular and that can lead you to have both money and power. If you become like an Instagram influencer. And I don't even know if Instagram is the right thing. I may be showing my age that that's actually outdated. I don't know. I'm still a Facebook guy. I know, I know, but that's where I'm living. Get over it, all right? But how do you define success? Or how has success been defined for you? It, again, if you were raised in North America, it's money, it's power, it's popularity. That's, it, that's how it's defined for you. It's how all the advertising goes. It's how everything is set. But like, if you had to ask this question, if I had blank, I would be successful. How, what would you put in that blank? What goes in that blank for you? Solomon, here in this passage, in asking for wisdom, and asking for an understanding, a discerning mind, he became really, really, really successful in all of those terms that I've just defined. In money, wealth, in popularity, and in power. He gets all of those on a scale that we can't even imagine. I mean, there, a little bit later on, as he comes into his kingdom, as he starts, do, he starts throwing these like sacrifices, and in, in one of his first actions... Like the sacrifice that he performs, they sacrifice a thousand bulls. Now I know that you say, well, okay, we're, I mean, some of you may be vegan, so that's a really turn off. I get that. But you got to understand in this society, primarily agrarian, sacrificial, I mean, to, in one setting to offer a thousand bulls, I mean, do you know what a bull costs in like today's, like we're talking like, a, you know, 1,500 to a couple of grand. Per animal in today's language. And he sacrifices a thousand of them in just one day. And that's, not, that's just the tip of the iceberg. If you go over into the book of Ecclesiastes, which I'm going to read a chapter out of it in a minute, you find about, about the parties that he threw, and you see it later on here in, in the book of, of 1 Kings, the, the parties that he threw. I mean, you're talking about a level of opulence. P. Diddy ain't got nothing on this guy. I just dated myself there too. I don't even know if y'all know who Pitt. I may have changed his name. I don't know. But like, it's, I mean, he, Solomon gets to build the temple. Up until this time, Israel, they're, all, they're just worshiping in this tent, this tabernacle that gets set up. He gets to build the temple. David wanted to build it. That was his dad. And he said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. I'm going to let your son do it. And he, did, and he go, starts talking about, as he's building this temple, about all of the work that goes into it and about how everything is overlaid, not with bronze, not with like, like gold leaf, like overlaid with gold. 
Like they just poured molten gold over the statues. Like over and over and over again, you just see gold. Like they're just shelling out gold like it's quarters. Like they would play left, right, center with gold nuggets. It's, I mean, just a level of opulence that you can't even hardly, uh, we can't comprehend it. And not only that, but he had like this worldwide fame. We're skip on over to 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 23 through 29. 23 through 29. Listen to this. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth. Not most of them. All of them. All the kings of the earth. Like when you talk about like Forbes or, or Fortune 500, like who's the richest guy in the world? Well, we don't know because typically drug cartel runners, they're not the ones putting their names out there. But like here, like he's the richest guy in all of the world. My voice just cracked. Can you tell how excited I am about this? I want you to understand this. Success, he had it. Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. The whole earth. I, I looked at this thing the other day. Um, now I can't remember her name. I, again, I'm showing my age. Oh, Billie Eilish. All right, the green hair girl. Right? <laughs> At least that's what color it is right now. At least it was in that, la that last little TikTok video I saw. So like she became like a, a singer star at like when she was 15 years old. And she had like, I don't know, like 67,000 followers on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And then like the next year, she does the same interview like every year, right? You can go look it up. I'm going to get the facts wrong. That's why I'm telling you to go look it up. But it like doubles to like from 67 or 600,000 to like one point something million. And then it goes and doubles again. And then it like hundred times. And like, so we're thinking like he has like millions and millions and millions of followers. Ain't got nothing on Solomon. Nothing. The whole world knew who this guy was, and they didn't have TikTok. They didn't have the gram. The whole world knew who he was. We're talking in a society that doesn't have phones, doesn't have cars. The whole world knows who this guy is. That's clout that you can't buy. That's clout that's only God-given. The whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. Every one of them brought his present, brought his present article, silver, gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. Money, popularity. Money, popularity. Solomon, no comparison to anybody you've ever known. But it gets even more. Verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities. Oh, he has cities dedicated to the chariots. Not stables, cities. Whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. Can you imagine if your yard... Just silver. That'd be awesome. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, we live in we live in, in Phoenix, in the valley. Like, we don't have grass. Why? It's a hassle. 
I moved from Oklahoma. I had to mow like an acre. I moved here. I have a track home with rocks, and it's awesome. <laughs> I sold the lawnmower, sold the weed eater, sold all of the lawn equipment. I don't have to mess with that anymore. Imagine if my yard was silver. You'd have to get a security system. King made silver as common as Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as sycamore in Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, I think that's how you say it, and the king's traders received from them Kew at a price. And a chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. So through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So he gets into these trade negotiations he's just raking in money hand over fist because of his wisdom he's built an incredible army he's powerful money power popularity now at this point i want to ask you the question most of you are probably familiar with who jesus is if not he's a guy who claimed to be the son of god he was born in a feeding trough he lived 33 years he was poor all of his life. He took care of his mom and his little brothers and sisters. And at the end of his life, at 33 years, they crucified him, they strung him up on a tree, and they killed him because he claimed to be the Son of God. And history tells us, the Bible tells us, that three days later he rose from the grave. Now I want to ask you this question. Especially those of you, uh, if you're Christians. When I describe that, and I describe Solomon this king, and then I describe Jesus, who claims to be the king of kings and lord of lords, which one do you want to be more like? Do you want to be more like Solomon? Would you like to have a yard full of silver? Or do you want to be like Jesus? Now that's a hard question to ask. I know it's Sunday morning, and I know you want to give the Sunday school answer, well, I want to be like Jesus. Okay, show me your checkbook. Open it up. What do you spend your money on? What do you want? Like just, is that true? If you say, I want to be like Jesus, does your life reflect that? Now I realize that's a tough question. And I realize, uh, you may feel like I'm pointing a finger at you, but I want you to know when I do that, I'm pointing three back at me. All right? But one thing about here at the table is we're just raw, we're honest. Let's just be real about it let's not put on a face let's not try to pretend to be somebody that we're not like if church is a christmas tree let's don't put up a fake one all right let's get let's do a real one do you want to be more like solomon or jesus do you want what solomon had or do you want what jesus has Now, I don't want you to answer that question yet because I've talked about Solomon. Now I want to kind of fast forward toward the end of his life and I want to read to you a chapter out of a book that he wrote called Ecclesiastes. It's in the wisdom literature. Like you go through all this historical stuff in the, in the Old Testament and then you get to this wisdom literature like Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, the book of Job, and Ecclesiastes is in there also and it's a book from Solomon. Solomon also wrote the Proverbs. But he wrote Ecclesiastes. The Proverbs is awesome. This is like when, Saul, when Solomon was doing fantastic. And then by the end of his life, he's writing some stuff that you're like, what happened to this guy? So remember, he's throwing the big parties. 
He's making the trade negotiations. He's popular. He's got power. He's got money. And then he writes these words towards the end of his life. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it goes to the north, and around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. And the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things to be among those who come after. Well, Solomon, what a Debbie Downer you have become. You... You're sacrificing a thousand bulls and throwing these epic parties that are off the chain. What happened? Let's go on. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I have applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom by all that is done under the sun. That's a clue right there. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has, great, has had great experience of wisdom and of knowledge. And I have applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but striving after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. What happened to Solomon? What happened between 1 Kings chapter 10 with all this stuff that he had and Ecclesiastes chapter 1? I'll tell you what happened. The rest of Kings happened, starting in 1 Kings chapter 11, which I'm going to read to you now. Some of y'all, you're, you're, you're here and you're like, is this all this guy does is read Scripture? A lot of times... Because it's a whole lot better than what I have to say. 1 Kings chapter 11. That's what happened. Listen to this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. I want to pause right here and say, God is not saying that you should only marry within your race. He's not saying that. He is saying you should only marry people who love Jesus like you love Jesus. That's what he's saying. Solomon, in his wisdom and in his, I don't know if it's, I don't think you'd call it wisdom, but in his perceived wisdom to make alliances with all these other countries, he entered into marital contracts. So we go on. Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3. He had 700 wives. Time out. Whoa. Wait a minute. That's just stupid. 
Can I just say that? And that's not a chauvinistic thing to say. If it was a woman saying she had 700 husbands, all of you women would also say, that's stupid. It's just not, you're, we're not made for that. But it goes on, it gets worse. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. What are concubines? Basically sex slaves. They're owned by him, his own little private prostitutional harem. So Solomon was a pimp? I guess you could say that. That sounds terrible, don't it? Wait a minute, you're a preacher. Can you say pimp? Yes, I can. And I did. I told you, the Bible is unflinching in telling the truth. This is Solomon, the successful king. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going into all of the details of Ashtoreth and Chemosh and all of these different gods. I will talk about Moloch for just a second. Moloch was a god of the Ammonites that to worship this god, the sacrifice demanded by this god would have you bring your little children to the place of sacrifice and the sacrifice would be these giant bronze hands that were supposed to be the, the hands of Chemosh not stretched out to give us anything but to stretch out as an offering for what we were supposed to give him so that we could get the things and those bronze hands would have a fire underneath them and they would be heated up glowing hot and the sacrifice was that you would bring your little kid and you would toss them onto the hands of Chemosh or of Moloch. Solomon condoned this. Instead of his, instead of him turning the hearts of his wives to the heart of Yahweh, his heart was turned away to their gods. Success is not money, power, and popularity. Because Solomon had all of those. And Solomon was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Success in the eyes of Scripture is faithfulness. That's it. That's it. Faithfulness. So the question is, are you faithful? Are you faithful to the Lord your God? That's success. And it may not look like it in the eyes of everyone else around you, but faithfulness, that's success. 
and Solomon, despite all of those other things. And you say, well, didn't the Lord give him all those things? Yes, he gave him wisdom. But he still turned. He said, well, did he repent? I don't know. His father David did, but there were still consequences. Next week, we're going to talk about Josiah, who was the repentant king, who didn't start off as well as Solomon, but he had a change of heart, and he made as many reforms in the nation of Israel as any king ever had. The repentant king. But Solomon was unfaithful. Verse 4 is especially instructive. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. You see, here's the thing. Age doesn't have, age does not guarantee faithfulness to the Lord. Because look at what it says. It says, when he was old. There's this misnomer that as soon as you get older, that you'll just automatically become more true to the Lord your God. That's not true. Have you ever seen the hell's angels? They're all old guys. Right? You know what I mean? Like, just because you get old doesn't mean that you're going to become sweet. No. Listen, I'm getting older. I'm getting crankier. I, I can feel it. Okay? It's something I have to repent of. You have to work toward. It's not something that happens naturally. Morality? That doesn't happen naturally just because you get older. Faithfulness? That didn't happen just naturally because you get older. No, 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 no. That, it, that, is a, that is a lie. Some of you are young enough, you're, you're young and you're thinking, when I get older, I'll be more faithful. I'll, I'll give more money when I have more money. No, you won't. I promise you won't. You'll just be more stingy with it because you have more of it. That's what happens. Jesus says it like this. He who is faithful in little will be given much. Not he who has a little and keeps it will get more. No, no, no. He who's faithful in little will be given much. It didn't work that way. If you wait until you're, you have enough money to have kids, you're never going to have enough money. If you wait until you have enough money to get married, you'll never have enough money. If you wait until you have enough money to start giving, you'll never have enough money. You never, it, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's faith. Age doesn't guarantee faithfulness to the Lord. Wealth doesn't guarantee faithfulness to the Lord. Age doesn't guarantee it. What, what happened? How do you get it? How, how do you become faithful? It's small. It, it's being faithful in these little things. Like one little decision at a time. That's how you get there. And I know that that's not exciting. I know that that's not... It's not exactly earth-shattering, but it is doable. It means it's not up to your giftedness. It's not up to you asking the right question and asking for wisdom. I know that maybe some of you sitting here thinking, oh, great, this is the track to get money. Ask for wisdom. It doesn't work like that, homie. I'm just telling you. Solomon is a test case in that. That's not what it is. It's like, what does your heart really, really desire? You say, well, what is the Lord's reaction to this because you got to treat the Lord as a person, not as a thing. He's not just this, in, this impersonal deity up there that is, is detached. No, no, no. He's a person. And it tells us in verse 9, 
And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Wait a minute. You mean that this God that you're talking about can get angry? Oh, yeah. Well, that's not fun. I know. You get mad at your kids? You think your kids think it's fun? Do you have reason to be angry with them? You probably do. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and that, there, that's instructive, I'm going to pause right there. Since this has been your practice, not this is this one-time slip-up. No, this has been a pattern of your life, Solomon. Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. There is a high cost to success if you're defining it by money and power and popularity. There is a high, high cost to that. It will cost you your family. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you friendships. It will cost you your character. It will cost all those things. If that is your, your view of success, to do everything that you can and smash everybody that you can to get money and power and popularity, you will be shallow and superficial and you're going to die alone. It's, there is a high, high cost with that. But there is grace. There is a way to be successful in faithfulness. And it's achievable for everybody. Everybody. It's not reserved just for the few. Just for the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Again, TV show, and I'm dating myself. Solomon is told by God, you're going to be the end of your father's legacy, not the beginning. And that's sad. How about you? Some of you have, most of you, have absolutely beautiful stories. Stories of redemption and grace and mercy. You are following Jesus. You're breaking or you have broke generational sin patterns and generational brokenness. And you're stepping away from that and you're turning and leaning in to Christ. And it is absolutely beautiful. It is faithfulness. And you're not pursuing money or popularity. And it is absolutely beautiful. And that will have an impact generationally that you can't even imagine. Others of you, you're watching people that you love start down a road that you can't follow them on. And you've had to slow your step down. And you're torn. Because you see this person going down this road and you're like, I, because of Jesus, I can't follow them. And it's not like you're backing up, but you're just not stepping forward into that anymore. And I want you to know that you just stopping is just as remarkable 
Because I get that. I get when, when your family or your friends are wanting to go down this path and you have to stand back and you're not walking line in line, step in step with them and they're getting further and further from you. I get the pain. I get the hurt of that. And I want to tell you that it is exemplary and it is remarkable and it is awesome that you just stop. And there's space created. And it's not because of you. And you're conflicted or hurt or sorrowful. And it's taking all the faith that you can muster to just stand back and not follow. Whether you're taking steps away from generational sin or you've just stopped walking down the path of family generational sin, I want to encourage you. Because both of those actions are commendable. Both create distance from sin and closeness with Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you something. Even though you've stopped and you're not making that path, you're not walking down that road, pursuing money, pursuing popularity, pursuing power, Jesus is walking toward you. You're closing the gap just by stopping where you're at. Speaking of Jesus, verse 13, he says, However, I will not tear away all the kingdom but I will give you one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen God is so gracious to his promises he is so gracious to his people so faithful to his word unlike us God is so faithful to his word and he always keeps his command he always does what he says he will do and if he ever doesn't do what he says he, he will do, it's a bend toward grace, not towards wrath. For instance, he tells Abraham, he goes, you're not going to inherit this land, but your descendants after you. I'm going to give it to him in the fourth generation. You start adding that up, and you adding up the years that that meant, you find out that God actually waited about 200 years longer than he said he would. It's always a bend towards grace. That's God. Even when Solomon had really messed up, and I don't mean like messed up one time, but it was a practice. There was a pattern. This went on over years and years and years. God still showed grace because of what He promised David. And we have the promises of a far greater king. We don't rest in the promises of David. We don't rest in the promises of of Solomon. We don't rest in the promises of Abraham. All those promises that God gave to those guys, that's not where our ultimate rest comes from. Our rest comes from what King Jesus has said to us. And here's one of the things that he said. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the scandal of the gospel. No one who is on this stage making announcements, preaching a sermon, or singing songs deserves to be here. None of you sitting in those chairs deserve the grace that God has given. We don't, we don't, we don't deserve the, the right 
to be called children of God? That's crazy. We're, we've sinned. We've gone our own way. The, the Bible tells us this. But probably somebody that is, you're sitting next to has a story of how their heart was radically changed. Of how they came to understand one day that they were alienated and isolated from God. And God in His graciousness and in His mercy extended hope to them. And they repented of their sin and they believed in Jesus and they turned toward Him. And they're not perfect. Some of the people that you're sitting next to, you know them very well. And you know they're not perfect. But you know that they've been, diff- they know that they've been changed. They're different. And that's grace. And it's because they've decided to follow this guy named Jesus. Who is not a king like Solomon and not a king like David and not a king like Saul. He's not insecure, he's not flawed, and he's not successful in the eyes of the world. But he is the most powerful, most influential, wealthiest king that has ever reigned. And he was born in a trough. Which we're going to celebrate on Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock. You should come and you should bring all your friends. We're going to sing to this King Jesus. We're going to celebrate him. That's how we're wrapping up this whole story. With the King of Kings. The, the King who deserves to sit on the throne. The scandal of the gospel is this. That he will never, God will never tear Jesus away from you. He may take things from you in order to push you to King Jesus, but He will never take Jesus from you. He'll never do that. It's not about your grip. It's not about how well you can hold on to God. It is about His grip on you. And He does not let go. Success is not money. It's not power. It's not popularity. It's not... Any of those things. It's faithfulness. It's about not letting go. I'm going to close with this. There's, I'm kind of a movie guy. And there's a movie with Kevin Costner in it called The Guardian. He's like this old, crusty, Coast Guard di- rescue diver. And then there's, you know, Ashton, Ashton Kusher is like the, the young, cocky guy who breaks all the records and stuff. And there's this time he goes to this bar and he's really frustrated with, you know, Kevin Costner, who's the guy. He, he just can't impress him. He said he goes to the pool that one day and Kevin Costner goes, it's record day. And he just blows everybody. He just gets all the records. Actually knocks Kevin Costner off the board because he held all those records. And Costner's just mocking him the entire time. All right, you're fast. You're fast. You're so successful. Good job. Wow. I wish I could be like you. Because the old guy, he knows that Rescuing people that are drowning is not about having your name on a board. Ashton Kutcher goes to the bar that night and he's talking to his girlfriend. He's frustrated. Bartender, who's a friend of the old guy, says, let me tell you a story. Boat goes down. Line breaks. Kevin Costner, who's the old crusty coach, holds on to the guy. He says, I won't let go. From a helicopter, 40-foot waves, and the only thing holding on to this guy is a rescue swimmer. 
And he says, I won't let go. And he holds on to him, according to the story, way longer than maybe human possible because it's a movie. But he gets to the end, he goes, he never let go. When they finally landed, it was just fingertips. Tore all the ligaments in his shoulders, just holding on to the guy. And then the bartender says, break that record. And of course, Kutcher is like, he finally realizes that his name on the board doesn't mean anything. That that guy who his mentor, coach, had saved doesn't care about the names on the board, doesn't care about the records. It's not about our grip and it's not about getting our name on the board. It is about God's grip on us and He doesn't let go. And so I know that I've said that success is faithfulness, but here's the thing. You're, you're going to slip sometimes. You're not going to be faithful. There's going to be times you mess up, but God doesn't mess up and God doesn't let go. God is faithful and that's why we put our faith and trust in Him. Not our ability to keep the law. Not our ability to memorize Bible verses or how much we give or anything like that. All of those things ought to flow out of this faithfulness, this, this thankfulness that we have of God's faithfulness toward us. So, Success is not Solomon. Success is Jesus Christ. You can't have everything Solomon had in a hundred lifetimes, but you can have everything that Jesus Christ has and you can have it today. So I'm going to give an invitation to you. The way we do um, communion here is we come down the center aisles for those who are baptized believers. Um, you've accepted Christ. You've been baptized because you've accepted Christ. You're walking in, in repentance. doesn't mean you're perfect. We invite you to come and take communion. We take bread, which represents his life, his, his body, which was broken on the cross. The juice represents the blood that he was, uh, was shed for our behalf. And that that is our standing with God because of his faithfulness. So I want to invite you to, if you're a believer, to come and take communion. To walk in repentance. Just repent there at your, at your seat and, and, and be honest with God and say, God, I... I haven't pursued you like I've pursued these other things. But God, I want to. And He'll take you. Okay? For those of you who are not Christians, I want to tell you that you can be today. That you can bow before King Jesus today. And I invite you to do that. You say, well, how do I do that? I just want to invite you to say, Jesus, I want you. You're my king. I've, I've pursued all these other things. I've tried to serve in these other kingdoms. And it, it hadn't worked out for me. That fuzzy-faced guy says that I'll, if I follow you, I can be a Christian. I can be one of your, a citizen in your kingdom. And it's true. You can. And then just come tell me. Come talk to me at, during, the, during the communion. While everybody else has come up here and take communion, don't take communion. Just come up here and tell me. Or get me in, out there in the lobby. And let's, let's start talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And then the last one's for all of us. After people are done taking communion, we're going to go back to our seats. We'll cycle back in there. And one by one, we're going to start standing up. And we're going to start singing to this king who is worthy of 
every bit of our praise. He is worthy of us losing our voices for today. He is worthy of the most enthusiastic, exuberant, heartfelt. He is worthy of your tears. He's worthy of you trying to sing through getting choked up. He's worthy of all of it. Because he's a good and faithful king. So I'm going to pray for you. Those are going to take communion. We, offer, we invite you to come and do that. And those who want to believe, I, I pray for you to believe today while I'm praying and then have the courage to come and tell me. Okay? Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are so much better to us than we deserve. You are such a good and faithful king. God, I thank you that your word does not shy away from guys like Solomon and David and King Saul. Um, God, not that we try to set those guys up to throw rocks at because, Lord, there's so many of those things that we see in their lives that are present in our own. And you tell us to do unto others as we would have done unto us. So, God, we don't want to we, we just set them up as bad examples. But, God, they do show us that anytime we put our hope in any other person, where it's just doomed to fail, that we'll crush others with our expectations. And God, it's, it's not who dies with the most toys wins. Solomon had a lot of toys. And at the end of his life, he said, it's all vanity of vanities, striving after the wind. But God, we see people who put their faith and trust in you that they never had success the way the world counts it. But they had joy and they had meaningful relationships and there was a, a depth to them. God, it's breathtaking to see the change that you brought in people's lives, that you are still bringing in people's lives. And God, you can still do that today. So Lord, I pray for my friends that are not believers yet. I pray that they would believe today. I pray that they would just have the courage to say, Jesus, I take you as my king. Whatever that means, Jesus, I'm yours. And then the courage to, to let one of us know, me or Kyle or anybody at the info table, just or whoever they came with today, that they would just confess you as their Lord and Savior and tell someone, God, we love you. You are so worthy of all of our praise. May we do so accordingly. It's in your good, good name we pray. Amen.